Welcome to Discastia, a podcast for parents and teachers about the best way to support kids living with learning difficulties. My name's Michael Shanahan. And my name's Bill Hansberry. Uh, And today we've got an incredibly special guest, Kate Cole, who has managed to perform a miracle and navigate the NDIS to get funding for her child who lives with dyslexia. So it's going to be a really special episode, I think. But before we start, I'd like to acknowledge that we're casting to you today from the traditional lands of the Ghana people. And uh, we'd better better pay respect, Michael, also to uh, elders past, present and emerging. Kate, welcome to Discastia. Thank you so much for your time. And can I say, like this started because I read a Facebook post of yours that blew me away. You know, I've worked in the disability field for quite a while and had to navigate the NDIS, not as a participant, but just on the outskirts. And it's so complicated and so difficult. And when I saw your post, I literally had tears in my eyes because I thought, this is an amazing achievement, what you've done. And I thought, we've got to get you on the show and ask you how you did it. (laughs) Thanks Uh, for having me. It's a delight to be here and I'm just I guess really happy to help others that are likely in the same situation that we were many years ago. Yeah there's probably a lot of people out there in the same situation. Um, So before we start it's probably worth just explaining what the NDIS is because not everyone listening to this show is in Australia. Um, So the NDIS is the National Disability Insurance Scheme which is a scheme in Australia I think it's been running for maybe six years, seven years. Yes, it was the Gillard government, I believe, that it came in under, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it's quite a difficult system to navigate for participants, but what it does is it gives you ongoing funding um, for people who live with disability and, you know, have significant and permanent disability and need ongoing support. Um, And there's lots of stories of people who have applied and been unsuccessful, but as I mentioned, Kate, you were successful. But maybe before we dive into that story, you could just give us a bit of an introduction to you and your background and how this started. Uh, Sure. Well, I'm a mother of three, um, but I'm also a scientist. And um, I guess I navigate really tricky things in life generally. And I'm really fortunate to have been able to undertake tertiary education and go on to have a really successful career. And I just want that for my children as well, to be able to choose to do a career that they love um, as well. So, um, you know, we three children we have. Our middle daughter, her name is Maddie, she is amazing, um, is uh, our child that has dyslexia. And when she was really young, um, like just starting school, we noticed that she had some difficulty in recognising some really, I guess what you might consider quite basic things at that age, like recognising her name or recognising signs or things like that. And we thought, okay, well, you know, people just say that everyone develops very differently and we just kind of left it at that. But it wasn't really until she really started getting through that, you know, first year of school that we had an inkling that it, it wasn't just, you know, something that actually it was it was something a bit bigger. And I guess that's where our journey started um, many, many years ago. And um, what made you think of applying for the NDIS? 
<laughs> well, I think any parent that has a child with a specific learning disorder or dyslexia knows, unfortunately, full well the sheer amount of financial support that needs to go into um, speech pathology, occupational therapy, all those additional supports, it becomes untenable very quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, gee, there must be there must be something else here. Like, what do people do in this circumstance? Um, yeah, this is question. not this is not sustainable in the long term. Um, we have three children. Uh, we live in, you know, the most expensive city in the country. How are we actually going to do this long term? And um, it was actually um, uh, a suggestion by um, a teacher when I said, well, w- what, are, what do people do? And I said, oh, you know, you could actually go and have a look at the NDIS and, and have a look. I don't know if you'll be successful, but um, it is a disability, so why don't you have a go? And that sort of started our journey into navigating the wonderful world um, that is the NDIS access requirements. Um, and it was a, about a one and a half to, to two year process to, to wow. get through. And it, it wasn't easy. Um, but I think persistence absolutely paid off um, in the end to, to get there. Um, but maybe I should explain sort of how we got to that point to start yeah. with, because it was a long right. journey just to get to that mm. conversation with the teacher. Yes. Um, so uh, our, our children went to our local uh, school system, which is a Catholic school system, and it was a wonderful, supportive school. It was a beautiful culture, um, but it had some constraints. You know, it had really large class sizes. It mm. had really small amounts of support. Um, for children with um, additional needs over and above that of the classroom, which I'm sure is endemic across the country, not just uh, specific to our particular suburb where we live. Mm. Um, And after our daughter had completed kindy and completed year one and still sort of struggled with the basic 100 wow words or sight words, I'm sure every parent's nightmare um, of a dyslexic child is being given um, sight words and asking to... (laughs) Um, to go through them with your children, uh, which is, a, a, you know, you can only describe it as horrific, I think. Yeah, it was yeah. no fun. It's not fun at all. <laughs> oh, no, um, no, no wow in it, Kate. There's no wow. There's definitely no wow. Oh, wow, um, you're making me do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think after two years of that and really not making any progress, um, we, we asked the school if we could um, repeat you know, our daughter into year one. And we were really fortunate because she was born, you know, at a time of the year where she, you know, sort of that early end of the year where you could repeat her. So we started her early. And so this would just be holding her back a year. Um, that must have been a, bi- a really big decision for you at the time. Um, th- that's what, I guess that's what people say, but actually mm. no, because, you know, our daughter is just this wonderfully confident, outgoing bubbly child and when we explained to her that this is what we wanted to do she said oh I'm just going to make double the friends like I have all the friends in this year (laughs) and I'm going to make all these additional friends in this other year and I've already done it so I'm going to be able to show them where everything is and I'm going to show them you know like where they can put all their stuff and it's going to be great so we are so fortunate that she just has she had and still has the Mm. best attitude to life generally um that that socially it wasn't an issue Right. Um, it was a challenge from a school perspective because they required us to undertake a whole series of tests in order for us to 
repeat her, you know, um, everything from, oh, gee, I don't know, um, going to a speech pathologist, doing all these different sort of ADHD tests and things like that, uh, right. making sure that she was socially ready. But I guess, you know, from our family's perspective, we're like, we need to set her up for the best things in life and how can she start year two without just the basics? Like, that, that's not okay. So, yeah, yeah she, she repeated you one again um, and she went through, you know, that mini lit program and those sort of things at school mm-hmm. and I think it was called reading recovery, which I'm pretty sure has been bit debunked now. Um, yeah, oh, yeah sure. very is. interesting. Both at the same time, Kate? Uh, no, one after the other. Right. Um, and, you know, not, not a lot of gains as you would expect from someone that has a specific learning disorder. Um, but I guess it got to that point by the end of um, sort of, I'll probably say about middle of the way through year two in that particular school, it became quite evident that the level of support that that school could provide was really limited. And it wasn't, due, the teachers are amazing. They're mm. great. It, mm. it's, not, it's not due to that. It's just they just didn't have the resources. They didn't have the time. They have a lot of children. Um, it was a real challenge. Um, but I, I still thought I was doing the right thing as a parent, so we kept her at that particular school. But it was one, it was one day, and I'm sure, you know, parents with children who have dyslexia or any other uh, you know, um, challenge in school, you have a lot of meetings with the teachers. Yeah. You have a lot of parent-teacher interviews. You know, yeah. you don't get the normal 15-minute one. You have, like, you know, like the whole faculty <laughs> things to come in. Like, yeah. that's what happens. And, um, you know, we're having one of those particular meetings and a, a teacher said to me, you know, I think she's quite frustrated with me asking all my questions as I do. Um, and she said to me, you know, just because, you know, your background is academic doesn't mean that your child will follow that same pathway and be academic. Mm-hmm. And it was that point I thought, actually, this teacher doesn't believe that my child is clever. Yeah. She doesn't believe it. And if she doesn't believe it, then what hope does my child have? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, I'm actually just going to stop and reflect. And I took her out of that school and I put her in a different school. Yeah. And it was a really hard decision because it was, you know, most of the faculty were lovely. It was local. Most importantly, it was affordable. Um, and, but at the end of the day, we're like, you know, it's something, it's not working for her and it's not working fast. She's not progressing. Um, what do we do? And I ended up taking her or enrolling her into a private school in Sydney, which was not without significant sacrifice um, from um, in order to do that. Yes. Um, but within, maybe three or four weeks of enrolling her and her starting um, in year three at this um, private school, um, our lives completely changed. Her teacher called me. She said, I think she's got dyslexia. I'd never heard of the word before. Her previous yeah. teachers said, no, dyslexia, that, that's not what she has. Like she's not writing in this particular way. That's not it. Like we just think that she's not capable. Like it was just this whole new world of yeah. teachers saying, actually, I think she's dyslexic, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, here's, here's some great professionals that you can go to that I would recommend you go to to help understand what we can do as a teaching staff to best support her with her learning. And we would recommend you go because there's all different things that we can do, but we want to make sure we're doing the right things. Mm-hmm. And I was Thank like... Thank goodness for that teacher. <laughs> wow, what a different attitude. Like, this is yeah. great. Um, and so we... 
one of the professionals that she suggested was uh, something I'd never heard of before. Um, <laughs> as I'm ashamed to say, as a scientist, I'd never heard of this profession. It was a neuropsychologist. Yeah. I was like, what is a neuropsychologist? <laughs> I, th- I felt like I'd been to every professional. Like I, I was like, I felt like I just circumnavigated the center of Sydney that going to like pediatricians and all these different ones. And I was like, what is this? Um, <laughs> And, and of course, it took, you know, forever to get in and, you know, we, we did the assessment, which felt like, like six or seven. It was a long day yeah. um, of assessment. But this particular neuropsychologist um, was a game changer. He was fantastic and he really helped um, make the difference between a specific learning disorder in reading and writing and an intellectual disability. Yeah, yeah. They're completely different, as yes. we know. But up until that point, um, teaching staff at the previous school, I felt like confused the two. Mm. Yes. And, and I was confident that she's bright, she's bubbly, she's very intelligent, but was hampered in a, in a really specific area, which kind of masked everything else. So, yeah, he was, he, he was brilliant. And um, after, um, I guess, going through that assessment and getting all the recommendations and putting those recommendations in place at school, like she just became a different person. Yes. So it was that teacher that said, okay, well, you know, why don't you just have a go, just have a look at it. And, um, and yeah, this is the NDIS. So now, now we're back to when you're thinking about the NDIS. Yes. Um, and I, because she was at a private school and we're still doing speech pathology in addition to sending her to that school and all of that. I didn't have any money for a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, I have nothing left, right? <laughs> so it's not as though there's like a magical just pot sitting there going, oh, I'll just get someone to do this for me. I thought, well, the only way that it's going to be successful is if um, I learn about it and I give it a go. And, yeah, so I, I spent – weekends reading about the NDIS access scheme and learning the rules and um, and applying and, um, yeah, trying to research how to do it. I'm in awe of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Kate, tell us about your first brush with the system when you first applied. Oh, well, the application's easy, right? I guess hmm. they, they lull you into a false sense of security. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great. This is how you just fill out the form. Um, you know, send the reports. And I had this, you know, I, I mean, like every parent, like I have reams of reports. If you want examples of assessments, like, you know, no problem. There's folders of them. So, mm. you know, uh, copied them all, sent them all in, um, you know, pat myself on the back, thought of how easy is that? Um, didn't take long for a letter to come back and go, I rejected. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um and I thought, okay, well, why is it rejected? Um, you know, I, I had the neuropsychologist help me understand, you know, what are the exact terms that I put in? It was a specific, um, it was a severe specific learning disorder um, with impairment, with reading and writing expression. Um, we had completed evidence-based treatment. We had done all this stuff and yet we were, we were still here. I um, 
I didn't understand why why am I re- being rejected. <laughs> so yeah. um, there was one little line I think on the paperwork back from the NDIS that that said, "Oh, if you disagree with this decision, you know, you can appeal." And I was like, "Well, of course I could I appeal." So <laughs> sent it back. Um, and then I got a, a phone call from the NDIS just confirming that I wanted to appeal. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, confirming. are you sure you want to appeal? <laughs> <laughs> um, We're going to yeah, make this hard for you, you know. <laughs> yeah. but, um, Did they sure. tell you why it was rejected? No. Right. No, right. Oh, they said that it, I think the, the te- um, technically it was that, you know, did not meet the requirements right. for access or something quite general. Yes. Um, they didn't tell me why. Um, and then, yeah, it was rejected. Uh, so I appealed, they called me. Um, and then I got a letter back saying that it had been reviewed and it was rejected. Right. Okay. I was like, oh, okay. That uh, was two. And I guess, you know, to be fair, I'm, I'm pretty sure lots of people give up here. They're like, oh, yeah. well, I did it twice. But yep. there's a little line at the bottom and it said, well, you can appeal to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. And I was like, okay. I'll do that. Um, it's so brave of you to do that yeah. because that just sounds to me like, you know, if that was me, I'd go, oh, my God, like this sounds really hard. This sounds like it's going to be intimidating mm. and difficult, especially if they're talking lawyers. Yeah, but at the end of the day, um, it's my child. Yeah. Right? So that doesn't. I don't think it should be scary. Maybe it's scary to some people, but this is your child. So, you know, a parent will do anything for their child. And you yes. think, well, I've got to sit in front of a lawyer. Or I've got to go to court to advocate for my child. Okay, no problem. Like, yeah. And I guess by this time, I was aware, I was more aware of what it was that I guess I was fighting for. Mm-hmm. Because up until, up until I knew about dyslexia, it, it was really hard because um, you know, parent, you, you kind of need to know what it's called. Like, what is it that we're dealing with? I didn't know what the problem was. Yeah. Mm. But once there's a label or you know what the problem is, then you can focus on the solution. And because I knew the problem, actually, it kind of made it a little bit worse, actually, because then as a scientist, <laughs> I start reading stuff. So I'm like, okay, so, so children with dyslexia, at this point, this is what I had in my brain, right? Kids with dyslexia, um, less likely to attain a higher level of education, they're less likely to have a high level of income. In fact, they're more likely to not be earning any income. They're more likely to have low satisfaction with their health, their social relationships. They're more likely to have psychiatric problems in the general population. They're overrepresented with symptoms of depression, low self-esteem. The most concerning to me is that female adolescents with um, these conditions were twice the risk of attempting suicide, um, twice the risk for experiencing violence, like all this stuff I knew because I'd read it. Yeah. And I was like, I think this is all right. Like I can go to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal on this basis. Like this yeah. is what the science says is her um, outcome. Mm. Yes. I'm like, but it's, but it's not. Like as a parent, like my job is to understand what, she, what is she up against so that I can completely change that trajectory? Yes. Yeah. But it's brilliant that you're able to find all that evidence. Yeah, but I think that once you've got a label um, yeah. of it and you know what it is, then as a scientist we just apply that to what it is. So what is it? Yes. What does the literature yep. say? What, what is the, the worst-case outcome? What's the best-case <laughs> outcome? 
what's the intervention, what can be done, and who can help me get it done. And um, I didn't have all these resources available to me to do it, and I was pretty desperate. I was like, I I can't afford all of this stuff. And this this whole scheme there set up for, um, you know, for a purpose, I'm going to go and use it for that purpose. Yep. And I guess I had looked on, you know, forums like, you know, Facebook and uh, the internet to try to figure out if other people had been successful and other people just kept saying, oh, you can't access the NDIS for dyslexia. You need to have another disability. I'm like, well, there is no other disability. It's the sole disability. And why not? Yeah. Like, that, that's a really bad outcome. The literature said it's bad. Why do I need to have more other things that are yeah, bad? Yeah. Like, is that not enough? That seems yes. pretty bad to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you've been rejected twice at this stage. <laughs> so I've been rejected twice. Going to the appeals tribunal, I guess the thing that happened with the second rejection of the NDIS is that they helped us understand which access requirements we didn't meet. So. There's four access requirements from memory. There's the really easy ones like age, like she's under 65, tick, you know, resident. Oh, she's an Australian resident. Like I feel like I got those down pat, right? Um, <laughs> it's just the other two, which is the disability and the early intervention requirements from memory, something like that. So um, we had to, or they, they argued there was know, insufficient evidence that, you know, her impairment substantially reduced her functional capacity in, in one or more of the areas that they had listed um, and that the condition, um, you know, needed to require lifelong support. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, it's not curable. Like, doesn't you don't grow out of it. So yes. how is it not lifelong? I don't understand. Um, and that the NDIS would be the most appropriate support system. And, you know, by this time, um, I had tried everything. Like I went to the GP, you know, you got the, is it called, I'm going to get the words wrong because it's been a while, maybe mental health access plan or something yes, like that right. where you can yeah. go and get. Mental health care plan, yeah. Um, and you can get maybe it was like five or six mm. sessions subsidised at Medicare rate. Okay, so after five or six weeks, okay, that, that funding's gone. Um, so what's left for the rest of the year? I'm like, well, there's no, there's no other support system available. So yeah. clearly the NDIS is all I've got. Um so the ATT, Administrative Appeals Tribunal process, um, was actually really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a telephone conference. They called it a case conference where they brought together representatives from the NDIS and, and myself, and they asked if I wanted to bring anyone to that case conference. And I said yes, and I asked to bring the neuropsychologist with me that did the assessment of yep. Of Maddie, um, because he was brilliant. He was up to date on all the literature. He knew what was going on, um, and he had done the assessment. So if there were any, uh, plus his report was incredibly detailed. But on the off chance he might have missed something, yeah, then he would be able to answer mm. the questions honestly um, and from a position of knowledge. Yeah, and um, so that was immensely helpful. Um, the the, con- the, the phone call itself, I remember they kept saying, you know, we haven't provided information on, I don't know, pick something random, um, uh, you know, her reduced functional capacity in, in, in something. And I said, well, what, what evidence is it that you need and what specialist or profession do you need me to get that from? And I will go and get it. Mm-hmm. And I just remember they were really vague. 
Yeah. It's like, well, if you want me to give you the information, you have to be clear on what it is that you expect. Otherwise, it's yeah. it's unfair, isn't it? Yeah. So if yes. you're not clear, what do you expect from me? Yeah. Um, so I just batted it back um, continuously. It's like, you can't keep sending me things that say you haven't done this when you're actually not. You're changing the rules of the game the whole time. Right. So yeah. what is it that you need? And in the end, they said, well, we need like a statement of lived experience. You haven't explained the impact on her life. I was like, no worries. <laughs> That's yeah. fine. Um, and I, I think the the confusion, or not the confusion, but the the issue that they were, um, I guess, getting to was that, you know, the school or the education system is there for support during school. And so the NDIS isn't for that. And yeah. I'm fully aware of that. And that's not what I'm seeking or I sought to address. Um, when you're dyslexic, you don't just stop being dyslexic when you leave school mm. and you try to get to and from school and participate in day-to-day life. It's lifelong. It's there all the time. So yeah. you need support outside of school. Um, there's not always a teacher or a learning aid with you yes. <laughs> helping you take the bus. So, um, so I had to write out all those things that she needed support with in day-to-day life that were not related to school and that, um, you know, it it took a long time because as a parent, you kind of get used to those things. So I had to sort of have a notepad and pen and every time there was something like, oh, yeah, that's there as well and I would write it down. So, Can you give us an example of some of those things? um, I guess the simplest one is, um, you know, if you – and I'll explain it this way. If you've ever gone to a hotel, like both of you wear glasses, I wear glasses. When you're in yep. the shower of a hotel, you don't have your glasses on and you get the little shampoo and conditioner bottles and the and you look at them and you're like, oh, I wonder which one shampoo is. And you can't read it because you don't have your glasses on. It's like that all the time, right? Yeah. So she can't decipher between shampoo, conditioner, body wash or whatever if it's in different packaging. So the packaging always has to be the same or the same brand or if it's new, then we have to sort of, you know, put a special symbol or whatever it is like, shampoo can get mixed up and that that's fine yeah but it becomes a bigger issue when it's things that are edible and not edible yeah that are in a cupboard um and so that's when it becomes a risk um to safety Mm. um not being able to read you know cereal boxes or um things like that um but i guess the the bigger ones are bus timetable train timetable street signs um signs that keep you safe yeah. In, in day-to-day yeah. life, um, are probably the most critical. And then there's just the things that are just annoying that you can't read, like birthday cards, Christmas messages, text messages, things like that, that, mm. you know, young girls might exchange in a friendship group yeah. but she can't participate in because she can't read it. Well, mm. many of them um, live in that world, don't they, of sending, yeah. sending SMS and text messages? Yeah, and... You know, if you think about how many times you read a, I don't know, a notice board or you read the ingredients to something or you might read a menu um, mm. and you know, think about just just reading generally, not purposefully a book, um, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot. You know, yeah. when you go yeah, to a foreign everywhere. country and you try to navigate where you're going and you can't read it, uh, yeah. I explained it's like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that. That was very helpful. And I also had to outline um, what it was that I wanted. So what was the money that I needed um, and what did I need it for? And um, there was a few things that uh, we asked for. Um, we originally asked for funding for a device called a C-Pen, mm-hmm. um, which is okay. 
Um, yeah. It's good. It's helpful. It's not yeah. it's not 100% amazing all the time, yeah. but mm. it's better than nothing. So a CPEN um, lets you run it over a line of text and it reads it to you, doesn't it? It does. And it's great if the text is on a piece of paper that's the same colour. Yep. But it's not great for labels or, you know, uh, like right. words that are written like graphic design. Not enough yeah. contrast. Or yeah. um, it's not great for things like, you know, if she's studying maths. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but, but, you know, I would say 90% of the time it's great. Um, so there was that. We also um, asked for uh, this device called a My Reader by Orchem, which is essentially glasses that read to you. Mm. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, and that that would have been an absolute game changer if it had been approved. It actually was, wasn't approved. Oh, wow. um, but that would have been a game changer because uh, those glasses, and she went and she trialed them and loved them, uh, essentially uh, verbalise what you see. Yeah. So if, you, if, there's, if it sees text, it will actually read it to you. Um, so we asked for around... Um, $10,000 from the NDIS on an annual basis, which in the context of money from the NDIS, I thought was quite reasonable. Yeah, like, it I wasn't is. there to gouge the NDIS. I was yeah. just there to get additional support because I thought, well, if she's got that, then maybe she doesn't need all those other supports like additional speech pathology because speech pathology is, is fantastic and she still does it, but it's only going to improve within the context of her SLD. Um, mm. uh, but in the end, the NDIS came back and said, well, first of all, they came back. Uh, oh, sorry, there's a few other things I forgot that we had to put in. We had to get a letter from her GP to explain that we had gone to the GP and that right. we had, you know, done the mental health care plan thing. Um, yep. And uh, I think they needed some more information from the neuropsychologist, which the neuropsychologist provided. Um, yep. And they needed up, up-to-date information from our daughter's school on progress, which is fine um and uh then uh i think it was maybe maybe a month it was a long time ago a couple of years yeah. ago maybe a month or two later yeah. after that particular phone call um i got a phone call from them um i think it was from the lawyers representing the ndis and they asked if they could have more time to deliberate um the decision um they're like, oh, we, we, we've been really busy. We just need a bit more time to deliberate over your case. And I was like, wow. what? What? No. Like, you're paid <laughs> to do this. Like, I'm not paid. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a mother of three working full time. No, you don't get more time. Um, if you're asking for my permission, my permission is denied. No, yeah. you can't yeah, have more time. Yeah. Like, I've yeah. given you everything that you want. Um, that's it. Um and then soon after, maybe a week after, I got an email from the NDIS saying that um, she had met all the access criteria and that she um, was successful in their application to um, meet the NDIS. Wow. Kate, when, um, when you were asked to give them a little more time, what was your intuition about why they needed that time? Um, I, I don't know. I, I was just annoyed mm. by that point because I felt like I'd done so much work and I'd yeah. given everything at it. And um, mm. the reason was, oh, we've just been really busy. And I'm like, well, I mean, mm. we're all busy. Yeah. Um, again, in the back of my head, I'm thinking it's my daughter. Like, yeah. you know. And all this time, yeah, for all this time, she's not getting the support that she That's needs. That's right. Um, 
yeah. So, but interestingly, when the when we did get access to the NDIS and we got our first plan, they they gave us around eight and a half thousand dollars, which is you know a game changer. Yeah. Um, and we, but the or, the my reader orcam was not approved, so we used that that money on on speech pathology, which is an approved, um, you know, um, activity uh, yep. yeah, for for her to use. So um, that was in um, around April of 2020, and since then we've had two plans approved, which have been around the same amount of money, and we've used them for the for the same purpose. Um, and yeah, Maddie is now in high school. She's in year seven, and wow. she's you know still uh, still dyslexic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> still, still got those sort of you know those challenges, but has a has a completely different trajectory on life. Um, you know, she's she is in a mainstream school. She's um, she's thriving. She uh, definitely still has challenges, but she has supports in place um, from her school. She has assessments in place to participate in assessments and exams. She gets a reader. She gets all these additional amazing things in her school such that she's just like everybody else um, and isn't, doesn't feel different in, yeah. in any way. Um, and outside of school, yeah, uses those supports to, to help with her favorite activity, which is baking, of which you need to be able to read a recipe for, <laughs> yeah. you know, those, those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's been a, a complete game changer for us. Um, but it was, it, it, it was a lot of work um, yeah. to get there in the end. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of work. So, you had two refusals and then the conference that you had, was that a phone call? For some reason, mm. I was imagining you had to go in, into a big building and sit in a room together, <laughs> but it was just a phone no, call, that conference? It was just a phone call, um, and I was expecting it to go to court. I yeah. was fully expecting, because that, that's the language that was used all the time, oh, well, when this goes to court or when this, you know, when you present, you know, evidence or things of that nature, quite legal um, terminology that yes. was being used in that case conference, and I that was would thinking, be a little intimidating, Kate. Uh, I think that was the intent, right? Um, but again, back to my original point, it's my child, so yeah, it's it's probably okay. Um, I'm thinking I will able to provide evidence because she's my child, so. So as though I'm on trial, um, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, what do you need? It, it, the, 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 I think the hardest part of all of this actually wasn't, to be honest, in reflection, wasn't getting access through the NDIS. That was frustrating. Um, it was time-consuming. It was way more difficult than it needed to be. But the, the, the hardest thing with all of this was actually getting to that point of knowing what it was that we were dealing with. So yeah. once once we had got over that hurdle, um, which is around in, you know, year three, about four years ago, everything else was easy. Yeah. It, it, that, that period as a parent where you don't know what it is that you're dealing with and that just that unknown of, oh, well, like you keep going to these specialists and I mean, it's so much money. Um, yeah. But going to these specialists and getting different advice here or there or someone's opinion or you should go here. It's just this merry-go-round of, um, of feeling emotion and you just want to do the right thing and you're not really sure. That's a worse position to be in 
good to be in a case conference with people talking to me about um, terminology. So I feel yeah. like after I'd been through that, I'm like, this is okay because I actually know what I'm dealing with now. Yeah. Um, and I've learned about it and I've researched it and I'm up to date. So bring it on. Yeah. I'm happy to go to court. Mm. It's that not knowing that makes you anxious, isn't it? It's like, what's going on here? You haven't got anything to pin it on or, or a direction to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like what you needed to show them was firstly that there wasn't another support mechanism out there aside from the NDIS. Is that right? So they wanted to know that it's not the school that could take responsibility for this or Medicare or some other agency out there that could provide the support, but really the only mechanism available to you was the NDIS? Yes, that's that, right. Was that their major objection to begin with? Um, well, there was a couple. So that, there was that one. Um, the other one was that it was uh, lifelong. Yeah. And that's really where the neuropsychologist was brilliant because mm. he had, he was able to provide all the peer-reviewed evidence and literature available about the fact that it is lifelong, it's pervasive, it's not, it's not going away. Um, and these are the outcomes that are expected without intervention. Yep. So the outcomes with intervention are completely different. And the difference between no intervention and intervention is them. Yeah. Mm. You mentioned earlier that you kept a lot of notes. So you said, you know, they wanted paperwork of stuff and you were saying everyone keeps their notes, but I, I'm thinking of myself and I think I'm really bad at keeping, keeping notes and things. So what sort of things were really useful for you? So if there's a parent out there now who's in a similar spot and they're thinking maybe one day they want to go down this path, what sort of documentation and notes should they be keeping and taking ready for this? Um, I mean, I, I, I scanned in and kept copies of every single test um, or report that had been done at school. So, um, you know, you're probably familiar with the YARC assessment or things like that um, mm, that were, I think were being done quite a lot. And I had them all mm. from kindy. Um, no problem. You can see the, uh, the trend of, of all of them. Um, every outcome or, or, or lack of outcome from reading recovery, mini lit, mac lit, every test. Um, report cards are easy. Generally keep them. But everything that was provided at a parent-teacher interview, feedback from the parent-teacher interviews, um, ev obviously every specialist, every report, every GP visit, that's the sort of thing that I had in a timeline, in a Word document, just date, date, you know, and what it was. Um, ah. And that actually helped me piece it all together because in the mix of being a parent with multiple children and everything else going on, if I didn't have all this stuff in a centralised location, it would have been almost impossible to remember it, I'm going to be honest, because it's yes. just too, yeah. too much. Um, but being able to just have it all in one file and then all of the reference material there, if anyone asked anything, I'm like, yeah, no problem. It's, it's right here. Mm. Um, and I think that was helpful with my NDIS application because when they were saying, oh, we need this, I'm like, no problem. It's, I've got it. I'll email it to you right now. Like, what else do you need? What's next? Like, yeah. And just have, having that confidence to go, well, Clearly, I'm coming across as a person that has kept very detailed notes of every conversation that I've ever had. Mm. So, um, and bring so it you on. kept notes of phone calls as well. 
Notes all, and phone calls. All in one big word document. All in one big like, word document. Kind of like a diary, like here's, you know, today's date, here's what happened, here's my notes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and really important um, during those conversations with the NDIS because I was able to reference back to them with the uh, case conference with the Administrative Appeals Tribunal saying, well, this is the time and day that you called me and this is what you said and this is what I said and this is the letter I got back. And, um, yeah, it is, it is time-consuming, um, but putting it all together as you go is less time-consuming than trying to do it later. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because I'd probably be in the in the box of having to do it again later. So that I think that's great advice, you know, if you're just starting out on this journey to start, you know, put aside some time to gather what you've got already and then have some sort of system that works for you to keep documenting everything. So just to summarise, Kate, it was documentation of all assessments done at school, all assessments done by outside of school professionals, notes from parent-teacher interviews, um, and notes of phone calls with people. So this is this is a really methodical um, kind of approach, Kate. And I, as I listen to you, I can't help thinking that um, you know your profession, your profession as a scientist, that that really analytical methodolo- methodological approach here. Um, and I think about parents that um, you know perhaps don't have that skill set, and, and I really feel that this isn't something that everyone could do. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you're, you're right. It's not something that everyone can do, and that's what's so frustrating about it, to be yeah. honest, because yeah. I have the benefit of, yeah, I guess having this skill, but not everyone does. And, and if yeah. it was different, so if this was me, you know, and I was the, the eight-year-old, um, it would have been very different. You know, my parents didn't have the ability to send me to – a private school to meet that teacher to do all this that wasn't that wasn't you know even possible so the the outcome would have been very different mm. and that's what that's what makes it so frustrating yeah is that you know your ability to access these funds which are life changing actually relies on someone <laughs> having a really high degree of education to be able to navigate it's yeah. like it doesn't make sense it's supposed yeah. to be accessible to everybody um and so, I mean, hopefully, I guess what I've sort of, you know, said today is helpful for everyone because you, you don't have to be a scientist to, to do this. You don't have to necessarily have a tertiary education, but you do have to be persistent and you have to be methodical and you have to write everything down um, and you have to just not give up and keep going. And, you know, the, the cynic in me, I shouldn't be cynical, but the cynic in me um, says that, you know, they didn't want me to go to court. They wanted to just give me access to the NDIS. They didn't want me to go to court because I feel like they knew I'd win. Yeah. And then it would be up there in the public domain that, you know, this particular child of this age got access to the NDIS just for dyslexia and no other disability, Mm. and then it becomes a precedent. Yes. And I, I know I shouldn't think that way. But, uh, and so a big part of me was like, bring on court, like, bring it on. Like, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, I've got this. So I think, you know, if you, if you're worried about um, applying to, uh, for the NDIS and you, you're 
you're scared or you, or you're concerned, I guess you just got to reflect back as to why you're doing this to start with. You're doing this for your child. That's the most important thing in the entire world. Um, being in a courtroom, going through the the red tape and the bureaucracy is only just secondary to doing something that's really important. Mm. And the long-term benefit is huge and amazing. And, and I yeah. think of people who, you know, really don't have any finances to support their kids, um, what an absolute life changer it would be, you know. Uh, it's really so such an amazing story and such a great achievement. I really hope we can get word out to as many people as possible that it is possible because I think that's part of the issue, isn't it? There's kind of a, you know, the word out there is that you don't get NDIS for dyslexia. And we've been talking about dyslexia, but I would include in this dysgraphia, dyscalculia, there's no reason why a specific learning disability should be excluded from the NDIS. And as you've shown, it meets all the criteria actually quite easily. What you, what you did, Kate, was you outlasted the NDIS. <laughs> you showed a willingness to just keep at it, which you shouldn't have to. Um, mm. But, yeah, it, it's remarkable. Kate, um, when you put this on uh, the, the forums out, out in Facebook, have you got any feedback that your story has given anyone else any particular direction and success in, in going the same journey as you? One of the lovely things that has resulted from, you know, that Facebook post of going, oh, hey, this is my story, this is what I did, is the sheer number of messages I've gotten from other parents going, like, I did not know I could do this. I'm absolutely doing this. Like, this is great. Um, that's amazing. Because that was the whole point of the post yeah. um, to sort of, you know, um, change that perception that it wasn't possible um, and or that it was only possible if you had all these other disabilities there and, you know, you had to have all these other things or you needed to have a lawyer or you needed to have all this stuff. I was like, no, you don't need to have any of that stuff. You can, you can do it and here's how I did it. This is why I did it and, you know, you can do it too. So, yeah, I've had a lot of... Um, really lovely messages from people letting me know that they've started that journey. You know, our journey took what, a year and a half or two years. So it's been around that time since I yep. posted that original message. So I don't know how many people have been successful. I hope there's been a huge yeah. <laughs> amount of applications to the NTIS. Um, and I hope that some go to court because they'll likely be successful and created that precedence and, and raise that level of um, public awareness because um, we can change the outcome for children with a specific learning disorder. They don't have to have those outcomes of low employment and, you know, all these awful other things that seem to be, you know, so prevalent in the, in the scientific literature that does not have to be the fate of these children we owe it to them to to change the narrative so that they're participating in day-to-day -day life just like all of us and they're absolutely thriving yeah. um and we're working for them one day um so well said yeah and, and i think it highlights the fact that as you say it doesn't that doesn't have to be the outcome all you need is appropriate intervention and support and that's really what people are lacking. And that's what the NDIS is for. 
And so I think it's, you know, perfectly logical that people living with uh, specific learning difficulties should get the anti-IS funding. And so I hope that it really does start an avalanche of applications because I think that will make it easier for people who follow and, and do it themselves. You know, the more at people who apply and get approved, the more normalised it becomes within the yes. system, the less difficult it'll be. Absolutely. Here, here. Okay, well, Kate, you have blown me away. I know that you say, oh, you know, you'd do anything for your kid, but I, I'm just in awe of what mm. you've done and the significance of it um, because I know how hard the NDIS can be to deal with and I know how difficult it is as a parent <laughs> just supporting kids who live with learning difficulties, let alone doing all of this on top of it, plus working in a job. So well done, absolutely brilliant. Um, and thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Kate. You've, you've, um, you've provided a wonderful gift, I think, to our whole community. Oh, well, I'm ha happy to share, you know, what, what I've done and our story. And I just hope that um, it helps you know, the thousands of other Australian families who are most likely going through the wonders of the 100 wow words um, <laughs> and feeling, <laughs> feeling, you know, like there, there is no tomorrow um, and surely, surely there has to be another way um, and just wanting, wanting to do the best thing for their children to, you know, to, to be successful because they absolutely can. So yeah, happy to share. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, and Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. Um, we're going to have the show notes for this on our website, discastia.com. And please feel free to ask questions or leave comments. We're happy to support people and answer questions. Um, and thank you once again for your time, yes. Kate. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, You're Kate. Welcome.